That's such a good question. You know, to me, newborn screening research means hope and progress. You know, the ability to ask new questions, sometimes ask the old questions over and over again, but really to be able to learn is so hopeful to me, whether that is learning about, you know, what treatments are actually going to work for different families, all the way to, you know, what are the systems of care and what is the data that we should be collecting to really be able to answer those core questions of, are we doing a good job? Um, are the outcomes of these kids that we are catching holding up one year, three years, five years, 10 years later? To me, that is really exciting. And, and I don't think you can have a newborn screening story without the newborn screening research story. Family engagement and rare disease advocacy drive the innovation and accelerate the discovery that advanced newborn screening research. Today, we're excited to have Natasha Vaughn, a health communication strategy and family engagement expert who has led groundbreaking initiatives to empower individuals, families, and their communities to transform healthcare. Natasha is currently the Chief Strategy Officer for Genetic Alliance and the founder of Expecting Health, a national effort to create outreach strategies and deliver educational programming to diverse communities with a special emphasis on maternal and child health issues. A decade ago, Natasha and her team launched Baby's First Test as the first national newborn screening research center to provide education, family support, and service information and resources about newborn screening at the local, state, and national level. Natasha received her Bachelor's of Art in Psychology from Boston College and began her career as a summer intern at the National Institution of Health, NIH. This year, 2022, her journey from intern to a national expert was recognized as Natasha received the Judy Turnick Newborn Screening Follow-Up and Education Award for her significant contribution. Listen along with us as she share advice on how to engage families and educate the next generation of advocates to help speed research develop new technology to screen, to diagnose, treat, and manage disease. Newborn screening saves lives and leaders like Natasha help make it possible. Hello, this is the Newborn Screening Spotlight. This podcast is about the advancement of rare disease research told by health professionals, researchers, parents, and advocates. This podcast is for you to learn how newborn screening research saves the lives of babies every day through the discovery of new technology and treatment. You will hear stories from experts who treat babies, the families who care for them, and the researchers who make it all happen. We are your co-hosts. I am Dr. Ki Chan. And I'm Dr. Amy Brower. We're from the Newborn Screening Translational Research Network, also known as the MDSTRN. Our work is supported by one of the institutes at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, called the Eunice Kennedy Shriver National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, also known as NICHD. Dr. Chan and I are from the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics, also known as ACMG, and ACMG leads the MBSTRN. Screening babies saves lives every day, and research advances newborn screening by developing new technologies to screen, diagnose, and treat. 
MBSTRN helps accelerate research by creating tools, resources, and expertise for researchers, doctors, families, patients, and advocates. To learn how you can help advance newborn screening research, advocate for rare disease screening and treatment, and learn about important discovery, become a member of the Newborn Screening Translational Research Network by visiting our website at www.mbstrn.org. Hello, Natasha. Thank you for joining us today on the Newborn Screening Spotlight podcast. First, I'd like to congratulate you on receiving the Judy Turk Newborn Screening Follow-Up and Education Award at the American Public Health Laboratory Newborn Screening Symposium this year. This award honors someone who has made a significant and outstanding contribution in providing innovative newborn screening follow-up training and education for best practices. And this year's recipient is you, Natasha. You are the founder of the Expecting Health and the Chief Strategy Officer at Genetic Alliance. It's been 10 years since the launch of Baby's First Test. And I know because I was in the first cohort of the Baby First Test Consumer Task Force in the year 2012. And that's when I first met you, Natasha. And it's so amazing to see the work and impact you have made. For our audience, could you share the mission of Expecting Health and how it connects to Baby's First Test and how can they learn more? Great. Thank you so much. Um, it is really lovely to be here with you. So at Expecting Health, our vision is a world where no matter your circumstances, that there is a healthcare delivery system that's focused on helping you obtain your own vision of health um, for yourself and for your family. And that that vision of health is really based on your lived experience combined with scientific knowledge and really has the opportunity for real and meaningful engagement. So what does that mean practically? It's that we really help build a healthcare system where families have the confidence and agency to really make the best healthcare decisions for themselves. Um, we really see that it requires a number of different pieces, including bridging the gap between science-based information and real-life strategies, as well as facilitating really mutually beneficial relationships and opportunities between all stakeholders in the healthcare system. And lastly, really being able to provide people with an opportunity to connect and build skills so that they can be more engaged in the healthcare system, whether that means knowing what questions to ask at a clinic visit, all the way up to being able to um, play a role in federal committees, national committees. We really want to see just more people actively engaged at the levels that meet their needs. And in terms of how all of this is connected to Baby's First Test, you know, that is one of our cornerstone programs. And it really exemplifies our mission by being a place that one, provides education around newborn screening, uh, but also is a place where we can collaborate with a range of different partners and work with them to create programs for families, as well as for providers and researchers and other people who are interested in newborn screening and really providing a way to get more involved. So if you're interested in getting more involved around newborn screening and baby's first test, you can always reach out at um, Natasha at babiesfirsttest.org. And then if you want to learn more about our other maternal and child health activities through Expecting Health, you can also reach out uh, at uh, my email, which is nbonham at expectinghealth.com 
org, as well as you can always go to both websites and get more information. Such amazing programs. Thanks, Natasha, for that introduction. Um, and I'll join with Dr. Chan in welcoming you to the MBS Steering Spotlight today. Um, so as you've taught us over the years, parents and families and advocates play such an important role in advancing research in newborn screening. And in in fact, you've got a new program called Newborn Screening Ambassadors. Can you tell us more about this program and why it's important? Absolutely. Uh, we are really excited to be able to have this program, our Newborn Screening Ambassadors. They really are a special group of people. Uh, you can think of it as almost a new iteration of the Consumer Task Force that was mentioned earlier. And so we have parents health professionals and people who are diagnosed with newborn screening conditions as part of this group. And they come together and go through a fairly intensive training program on newborn screening, education and advocacy. And the reason why we do that is that we really want to make sure that people are knowledgeable when they then go out in the world and are talking about newborn screening. So they can understand it from a systems level as well as from their own personal experience and combine that to really be able to make an impact in their communities. And so the goal is to support people who want to be leaders in newborn screening and provide the training, but really also the connection to each other and to other partners and to then be able to provide opportunities for them to go and speak. So we've created a video series with our ambassadors. We also provide support for them to go to different meetings as well as connect them to their state newborn screening program. So a range of different opportunities so that um, those leaders can go and really build long-term relationships. We have been really lucky to see some of our ambassadors work uh, at the state level and be able to help create programs or just give the family perspective as states may be rolling out a new condition or thinking about educational efforts. They now have someone who's right there to be able to uh, be that support and be that um, voice of families back into the system. So in thinking about the important role of parents and families and advocates, for many years, you've been the chief strategy officer for Genetic Alliance. And I think, you know, we've all learned from Genetic Alliance and your leadership there on the important role of research in advancing newborn screening. But we know that you wear so many different hats and have accomplished so much in your efforts in Genetic Alliance. Can you tell our audience a little bit about your projects and the different roles that you and your team members play? Absolutely, yes. Uh, it is really wonderful to be uh, connected to an organization like Genetic Alliance that has been around for well over 30 years and really was a and is continues to be a pioneer in really shaping what does it mean to have a uh, patients and families 
at the center when we are talking about um, evolutions and revolutions in health and healthcare. So Genetic Alliance really has a focus on deploying high-tech and high-touch programs for individuals, families, and communities so that they can be part of that transformation of healthcare systems and really have that be responsive to the needs that people have when they are looking at their health and wanting to make an improvement, whether that is because they're looking for treatments for a particular condition or even just wanting to gain more knowledge. And we, we see that there's just more and more opportunity for that knowledge to, to be gained. And uh, it's really important that that's done, not just for data and more information for the sake of more information, but that it really is put in the hands of people so they can steer their, their own healthcare. And so in terms of the different programs that uh, we are involved in, you know, Genetic Alliance has a number of programs related to research and um, providing information around that research realm. There is a registry boot camp. So if you want to learn about that, there are boot camps for uh, learning about registries. Same thing goes with biobanking. Um, Genetic Alliance has disease info search, which really is populated uh, with the information from advocacy organizations where you can go and look up a condition and not just get the general information that you might get from uh, many of the other sites that are there, but also a listing of the advocacy groups that are available to provide support as well as the latest research in that realm. So really having a lot there that is, uh, you know, tools and programs programs to really help people get engaged, particularly from a research perspective. Now, when I wear my uh, expecting health hat, um, which you can kind of think of as almost like a subsidiary of Genetic Alliance in that we really took that rich history of putting families first and applied it in the maternal and child health space. So that's where our newborn screening programming comes in, but also our more direct family engagement programming, which again is focused on how do we not just share stories, but really have people people be part of the decision-making process when we are thinking about all the different lenses of health, right? So again, back to whether we're talking at the clinic level or talking about uh, federal advisory committees or project advisory committees, or, you know, being able to have families themselves run research and contribute to those questions. Uh, we really think that families should be involved in all of that. And for expecting health, we really look at that through the lens of maternal and child health. And we like to say everything from preconception all the way through those early childhood years. Um, and so within that program, I already mentioned our newborn screening work, but we actually do work in nutrition, which uh, many people don't know about. But again, we saw that as a place where so often there's science, there's conflicting science, and families just want to know, what do I need to do to keep myself and my baby healthy during this time? And so we really wanted to be able to contribute in that space by keeping the science simple and direct and really meeting the needs of families, which is just, again, back to that direct messaging about, you know, how should, um, or I should say, what does healthy eating look like during pregnancy as well as, you know, afterwards and when you have a young child. So that's just, an, again, another example of a different space that we work in, but that really has the same foundation, which is 
combining the scientific information with what families actually need so that they can be action oriented when they're making decisions about their health. So Natasha, you know, you wear so many hats. Can you tell our audience a little bit about how you got interested in this area? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was definitely not a linear path. You know, I think sometimes people ask me, I speak to a lot of different students who are thinking about, you know, what are my next steps going to be? And, you know, I, I didn't even know this type of work existed. Uh, you know, when I went to college, I was really interested in health and medicine. And, uh, you know, I thought about going to medical school. And then for a little while, I thought about law school. You know, I just liked how all of these things came together. And, uh, you know, true story, my first job, um, I worked uh, actually in education, uh, doing research around education and health. And the grant I was on ran out and then I didn't have a job anymore. And, you know, one year out of college, I was so upset about it. And I just was applying to all these different jobs. And then this one came up for an organization called Genetic Alliance. And I just kind of thought, huh, that sounds really interesting. I applied and, uh, you know, it was one of the jobs that reached back out to me and they, you know, the, the pay was on the lower side, I will admit, because it was a nonprofit, a smaller nonprofit, but it had an office dog. And I just kind of thought that's interesting too, an office dog. And we're talking about genetics. Let me go here for a year or two and figure things out. And that was in 2006. And it really led me to this path of advocacy and understanding patient and community stories and really seeing how people can be in charge of their health and of the healthcare system. And about a year after I joined, there was a new project coming up, a new grant going in for newborn screening. And I remember speaking to the CEO, Sharon, and saying, ah, tell me a bit more about newborn screening. And she said, well, you know, every baby gets screened for these conditions and parents don't know about it. And we're learning new things about these conditions every year. And, you know, we have this project where we really want to learn more about what families think. And I thought, huh, that seems interesting. I really had no idea that it would grow into kind of, you know, uh, my passion and life's work of really hearing what families have to say and taking that and really making positive change in the healthcare system. So I always say, you never know where things are going to lead you. And, you know, in this type of work I do, there isn't necessarily a school you go to or a program that you go to. I feel really lucky that I get to work with genetic counselors, people who have, uh, you know, their master's in public health, nurses, and people who, you know, people who never went to college, who learned this work on the job because they are taking care of their loved ones, of their children and, and getting involved in that way. So I, I feel really lucky that I've been able to have this really cool career where I get to be at the intersection of science, policy, society, um, and, and public health. It's, it's pretty exciting. Natasha, Thank you for sharing how your work involves in engaging and empowering families in the decision-making process on maternal and child health issues. In the era of expanding newborn screening with the additional conditions on the recommended uniform screening panel, also known as REST, and the potential 
use of genome sequencing, what are families' perspectives toward genetics? And what are challenges that researchers need to reconsider in conducting public health genetics and genomic research? Great. That is such a good question. You know, I think so often we try to think of the public as one huge group, and it really is many, many, many different smaller groups, right? So many times people may have a really positive outlook on uh, the emerging uh, new technologies and what that might mean. But oftentimes if we dig behind that, we see that those positive feelings tend to be tied to also thinking that good quality care will come from that, right? Again, back to this idea that it isn't just um, knowledge for knowledge sake or just more data just to say you have more data, but really to be able to say, okay, what are the actions that can be taken? What can we actually learn from this? And how can this truly empower me to move forward with my healthcare or my child's healthcare? So when people think about genetics and genomics, there is that excitement and there is that interest to see, okay, where are we going? You know, are we, when are we going to really fully deliver on the promise of, you know, sequencing the human genome and really being able to move that forward? And at the same time, people have concerns. One, again, are you just testing and screening just to test and screen, or are you actually going to be providing really helpful, useful information? And will that information then also be integrated truly into the medical system so that families feel supported throughout their entire journey? There are also questions when you look at any, any source of data, whether that is financial or just what you're doing on the internet, it goes with genomic data as well in terms of privacy and how do we make sure that that information is um, really uh, protected and accessible. So I think those are some of those key issues that people are thinking of. And so what I would say to researchers in this space is, you know, I know everyone has heard about patient-centered design and really making sure families and people are included in the work that you're doing. I think really making sure that that starts from even just the design of your research project. So it isn't just about having one parent on an advisory board, right? I think it's about having many parents with and many individuals. Um, I say parents because we tend to be talking about newborn screening, but really also individuals themselves who may be affected by a condition or may have encountered the, you know, genetic services for a range of different reasons and to consistently get that input to really think about, well, what questions do communities themselves have? What do they want to be learning about genetics and genomics from a range of different perspectives, the scientific and also the communication, the messaging, and to really think about designing your work with all of that in mind. And I know that that's a lot <laughs> and it can be really tough to try to fit all of that in. But whenever we say, oh, we'll do the education on the on the back end or we'll ask parents down the road, I think that always just leads to, in my opinion, a lackluster project um, compared to really having people be able to influence, again, the design and the approach and the vision of that research from the beginning. Natasha. What advice do you have for researchers to engage families and advocate organizations to amplify their voices and concern 
into the design of their research studies? You know, just like anything else, it really is about uh, networking and connecting. So I really encourage researchers to go to where the families are um, and to connect with advocacy organizations. Uh, you can see people at a range of different meetings, um, both national, but also local. I think sometimes people think that, oh, the only organizations that are available are the really, really big ones who are in lots of different places. But you know, look at the state level and see, are there groups that are focused in on some of the things you're interested in, whether that is disease-specific organizations, but also community-based organizations. So it could be a group that's focused on child health in a more general format or providing family services for your state or county and reach out and just say, you know, is there anyone who might be interested in partnering? And to have that partner be able to co-create what that looks like, right? You definitely need to be flexible. Um, you know, many of us get to do this work as part of our jobs, part of our nine to fives, as they say. But a lot of times when you're engaging with families, they have other jobs, they have their own nine to fives, and then they need to find a way to fit this into that. So really being able to be flexible and to be able to ask those questions from the beginning really shows that you are interested in a true partnership, not just, you know, checking a box and saying, oh, can you read this survey? You know, actually asking we were thinking of doing a survey. Do you think that's the best approach for our community? Or do you think we should do something else? What are some questions you want to know, right? Again, it's really going back to that idea of true relationship building and partnership and making sure that it is mutually beneficial um, for all who are involved. And I have to say it, it takes time, just like any relationship. It really takes time and effort on the parts of everyone involved. And so, you know, keep, keep at it. And sometimes people will say, wow, right now is not a good time for us. We, you know, we heard that time and time again over the past two and a half years with COVID and just people really being overwhelmed, both individuals with their families and trying to navigate things, as well as at the organizational level where people were really just trying to provide the best services they can for the people who are relying on them. We are getting a little bit out of that right now. And so someone may say, oh, I couldn't do that six months ago, but you know what, in the next three months or in the new year, we'll be ready for that. So again, it's back to just having those conversations and really showing you're interested in a relationship, not just a one-time engagement. Thank you, Natasha. And, you know, we know that newborn screening saves lives and every day babies born in the United States receive comprehensive screening for treatable diseases. Um, newborn screening, though, is a system. So it's a system that involves many different players, as you know, from parents and families and advocates to the state newborn screening programs that conduct some of the screening birthing hospitals that conduct screening, and then the clinicians and the diagnostic laboratories that sort of get the results from a positive screen and then act upon it. Um, and we also know that the majority of newborn screen conditions are treatable, but not curable. And so all of that leads into your life's work of emphasizing education. So can you tell our audiences about some examples of large-scale 
education opportunities in newborn screening. How do we currently tell expecting parents or new parents about newborn screening? And do you have any tips for all of us, including how researchers and clinicians can partner with state programs to give parents the information they need, whether it's ahead of time or just in time as they're dealing with a new diagnosis? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the first thing I always say to people when they ask about education around newborn screening is to, I always say, put yourself in that parent's position. This is not the only thing that they need to learn about. In fact, it is one of probably hundreds of things that a family is trying to navigate when they are either planning a pregnancy or are pregnant or about to deliver. You know, there's so much going on. Um, and that's in a typical pregnancy, which we could have a whole separate podcast around, you know, do we even have all the data around that to know what a true typical pregnancy really looks like? But anyways, you know, really thinking, wow, there's so much information being pushed out to families at that point in time. And that's from the healthcare system, because we know typically when people become pregnant, that is the biggest um, time for change. And that oftentimes that is when people decide to really be as healthy as they possibly can be to implement new habits. It's also a time that marketers are looking at families. Many times that's when people are looking for new products to, um, you know, either they're safer or better or, you know, whatever the case may be. So you have a lot of people looking at this population, you know, people who are pregnant and saying, now is the time to get them, right? <laughs> Whether that's a public health message or uh, something that's more uh, consumer related, so we have a lot to compete with in that. Education is not a one and done. It's not a one-time thing. It really is about, you know, how often will a family or really a person see a message? I believe the last time I looked this up, it takes people seeing something seven times for it to kind of stick in their minds, right? It's why we are so bombarded with so many messages. Uh, it really takes that amount of time and it probably takes more than that because we're seeing so much. Again, just trying to put us in the viewpoint of, of families and individuals. So I really would encourage when you know researchers are doing this work to take every opportunity as an opportunity to educate. So what does that mean? When introducing newborn screen, let's say you're doing a survey or an interview, uh, not to assume that people know what newborn screening is or not that they know what newborn screening is within the frame that you are using, right? So oftentimes people will say, no one knows about newborn screening. And I say, well, there's some data that is uh, that shows that that isn't the case, but there is a difference between someone you saying to someone, can you define what newborn screening is? And they say, uh, I think it's tests that babies get, right? That's not a wrong answer. Comparing that to, do you know that, you know, before a baby leaves the hospital, they get tested for a range of different conditions and different things just to make sure that they're okay. Most people will say, 
Yeah, obviously. Right. So <laughs> I think it's about what is it exactly that we want people to know? So really thinking about that within the context of your research. And when you are engaging with families and individuals, what is it that you really want them to know? What is the really important piece? And really then pushing that through your educational efforts. You also mentioned, you know, connecting with your state program and state programs do such an amazing job and they really have a, a pulse on kind of where their programs are, what they're screening for, and, you know, really working with them to see, hmm, have they received any questions about newborn screening? Is there an opportunity to help them get certain messages out about screening, whether that they're expanding their panels or, uh, you know, really emphasizing the fact that these conditions are treatable, like you said, and maybe that's an important message that needs to get out in that state. So I definitely encourage researchers to work with either formally or even informally with the states that they are working in to be able to get a sense of, you know, what does the population really need to know about newborn screening? Thank you. There's so much to do. And I think um, yeah. <laughs> I can't a better place to put our energies than in education. And as you said, it's not a once and done as we know, um, you know, sort of this lifespan approach to health and well-being is something that is an area we'd love to help focus on um, and to understand health outcomes. So you've been a great partner in that. And I forgot to mention when we were talking about your role at Genetic Alliance that you're leading an important effort with us. So you're collaborating with ACMG on a new HRSA-funded effort to look at longitudinal follow-up and outcomes in spinal muscular atrophy, one of the most recent conditions recommended for nationwide screening in the United States. And one of the things that we think is really important is research not only before something becomes part of nationwide screening, but also after, so we can understand the impact of early identification through newborn screening. And so with SMA, if we can follow these children over time, we're gonna learn more about the diseases. And that brings up our next topic that we would like you to talk to our audience about. Um, and that's once we move to population-based screening, um, in newborn screening, it often tells us more about that disease and more about the diversity of the individuals that this disease impacts. So that helps us think about um, diversity, equity, and inclusion in newborn screening. And we think of the example with newborn screening for SCID. When we were doing the pilot for SCID, the first babies that were identified were from diverse backgrounds, Hispanic, Asian, and Black. And typically, like my son, the um, typical profile before we did population-based screening for SCID was Caucasian and particular genes that were involved. But with population-based screening, we've got the opportunity to really identify the breadth of individuals that these genetic diseases impact. And recently, the University of California, San Francisco, published an article titled, Non-White Newborns with Cystic Fibrosis More Likely to be Missed in Screening. So Natasha, your work has intersected this area of diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. What do you think we as a newborn screening research community need to know and what can we do to help? 
Yeah, those are such great points and examples that you bring up. You know, I think first we have to really acknowledge what we don't know, right? I I think it can be really difficult for people to think about the messaging of newborn screening saves lives. It's been around for 60 years. Uh, We really know what we're doing. And we really have a lot to learn, particularly when we are thinking about, uh, you know, what do these conditions look like and how do we detect them in a broader population? And to be able to really highlight the fact that we are still learning and we are still improving upon how we do that. I I think that that is actually the place where trust really um, begins is being uh, humble and the, the humility to be able to say, we're still learning and we're doing everything that we can to continue that research and to make sure that that research doesn't just stay in the, in the lab, but really is translated into actual practice. So I, I think, for researchers really thinking about where you can highlight what we don't necessarily know or what we're learning, even to be able to say, wow, in the past 10 years of screening for, you know, name the condition, we've been able to learn X, Y, Z. That is really powerful to people. It shows that, wow, these programs really need investment and we need to really make sure that we continue that path of learning. Um, and and drive that so that more and more of the benefits can reach more of the population. I, I think that that can be really difficult when people stumble upon the information, such as, you know, as you said, that article that talks about, you know, depending on the population um, that you are a part of, you may not be getting the same level or rates of identification compared to others. That is something that we have to just be as a, as a research community, as a newborn screening community, as a health community, just really be honest about and to say, and we are focused on shrinking that gap year over year. Um, That is really, I think what will lead to a true and genuine conversation around health equity and what that looks like. And what does that look like from a scientific perspective all the way through? What does that look like on the care side of the equation? So Natasha, the newborn screening research community is made up of diverse different members. Are you involved in training the next generation of advocates, health professions, and members in this community? And what do you tell them about newborn screening research? Yes, we are really lucky to be able to have a number of different programs that are about training and giving the tools to people who want to be leaders in the healthcare space in general, but also in the newborn screening space. So a couple of the programs we have, we have one, which is our newborn screening ambassadors, uh, which is the formal training program where people uh, uh, apply and are with us for about nine months and really learn all the ins and outs of newborn screening from the federal level, the state level. And in that, we also do talk about research and how those 
ambassadors in that program are able to contribute and be part of those different conversations. So we have that approach. We also have a program that we launched last year specifically for genetic counseling students to join us for four weeks and do an active and engaged learning around newborn screening. So one day they would hear from uh, a lecturer. Uh, I was one and we had other genetic and other genetic counselors as well as parents kind of share their perspectives and what they know about newborn screening. And then we had those genetic counseling students do a couple of different tasks and activities to really see what it's like to search for information on, let's say their state's newborn screening panel. Was it easy to find that information or not very easy? Uh, we had them have discussion sessions and almost like journal clubs to really talk about the emerging issues in newborn screening. And we're really excited to be able to provide that opportunity this upcoming summer. And so we also have internships and also more informal mentoring opportunities. You know, we have students reach out to us all the time. Um, and by students, I mean both those who are in school as well as people who may be mid-career and looking to make a change and wanting to get more involved in public health or in advocacy and have lots of conversations with people about what that may look like and the, the different partners they could potentially reach out to. So I think it's a really important thing in this space to always be thinking about how can you impart uh, the knowledge you have to the next generation, but also to hear from them and to say, well, what are the issues on their minds? Why are they interested in genomics or public health or advocacy? You know, what are they seeing? And to be able to make sure that it is a bi-directional conversation, because I learn just as much from the people I get to talk to who are just starting out in their career as, as I think they learn from me. Natasha, thank you so much for joining us today on the Newborn Screening Spotlight podcast. We, we have our signature question that we ask our guests, and that is, what does newborn screening research mean to you? That's such a good question. You know, to me, newborn screening research means hope and progress. You know, the ability to ask new questions sometimes ask the old questions over and over again, but really to be able to learn is so hopeful to me, whether that is learning about, you know, what treatments are actually going to work for different families, all the way to, you know, what are the systems of care and what is the data that we should be collecting to really be able to answer those core questions of, are we doing a good job? Um, are the outcomes of these kids that we are catching holding up one year, three years, five years, 10 years later? To me, that is really exciting. And, and I don't think you can have a newborn screening story without the newborn screening research story. And to see that that has always been the backbone of, um, of newborn screening progressing and the evolution of that. And, and I mean that beyond just adding more conditions. I think that's what people tend to go to, but really making sure that the care that um, families as a whole are getting is also always improving and that we can learn through research what, what could be some gold standards around that, right? Again, everything from 
the moment that um, blood spot is taken or um, the pulse ox is done or the hearing screening is done all the way through, uh, you know, the lifespan of that child and to be able to track that and see that and then take what we learned through research and then implement it at a larger scale. I, I don't know, maybe I'm just kind of, um, <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm a bit of a nerd about this, but to me, that is where hope really comes from. And that is what's really exciting to me about the newborn screening space. Thank you for listening to this episode of Newborn Screening Spotlight. If you like our podcast, please subscribe and share an episode with your colleagues, friends, and family. Get involved. Stay informed. Help us advance discoveries. Together, Together, let's increase increase the impact impact of newborn screening research by listening to your stories. stories.